Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi everybody, this is The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times and it's the last Ruck of the season. I hope you've loved your rugby season in whatever capacity you were involved um, but last Ruck today um, and we'll be shortly announcing when we restart for the huge part of, uh, of the year that's the World Cup uh, warm-up games and, the, and Rugby World Cup itself so Traditionally, we have huge figures for those and uh, we'll be hoping for that again and uh, keep in touch and we'll um, we'll release all the restart dates, etc. Everything you need to know. Thanks once again for uh, joining us. I'm Stephen Jones. I'm joined today by two excellent ruckers, Stuart Barnes, uh, who is coming to us from his gothic pile in Bath <laughs> and... The editor of Rugby World, Alan Dimmock, and um, it could be described as a pile, but for in a very different way. Yes, he's a, well, he's a, a former props who would be a pile, and uh, Dim's fair play mate. Um, I think there's a real buzz about Rugby World. Uh, you've given it a new slant and some excellent articles, and um, I'm not uh, being paid to say that. I sincerely mean it. So make sure you keep up with Rugby World as well as the Ruck. New issue out today, by the way. Good plug there. Thank you, Steve. No problem at all. I'm working well. I'm working well. Um, Stuart, uh, I left you all on your own to cover the Premiership final. I presume it was a disaster for you? Steve, I just didn't know where to turn or what to write without you on my right-hand side. It was, it was awful. Please come back. <laughs> I, know you, I know you didn't mean that for one second. I know you did a <laughs> great job and a very good report. Coming up on today's podcast, we're going to look back at that Premiership final. It's not been the greatest season for the Premiership in many ways, but the play, the standard of play has, has, has maintained itself, and that was an excellent game, in my opinion, watching it afterwards. We'll also touch on the URC final. Munster, again, we can call the mighty Munster, beat the Stormers in Cape Town in front of a huge crowd. We'll talk about that as well. Also, we'll ask where the Barbarians go from here. They have decent crowds for their games. There was a sort of festival game, let's call it that, on Sunday at Twickenham against a World 15. But where do they go after that? Also, we'll name our god or goddess of the week. Stuart, you were effusive in the paper on Sunday. Uh, you clearly enjoyed it. Um, Saracen's back on top. An occasion and a match worthy of a final? 
I think so, yeah. Saracens have been by far the best team in England all season. They've been the most entertaining. They've been the most industrious. They've been the most intelligent. It's a triumph for Mark McCall getting this team back together again in the last two years. And they thoroughly deserved it. And I must say, I thought in the first half in particular, Owen Farrell played better than I've ever seen him play. He was absolutely superb. Not quite the same in the second half, but that was a spectacular performance from him uh, and a very organised, efficient one from Saracens. And, And whereas perhaps Sale were too keen to go to the air and slow the game down, Saracens maintained their style that they played all season. They were entertaining uh, and thoroughly worthy winners. Al, um, first of all, for you, did it feel like a proper final? Uh, The sunburn on my forehead would tell me that it did because it was a lovely sunny day. Um, But yeah, it it was a match and an atmosphere befitting a final we we could talk about crowd numbers and actually crowds for the premiership final haven't been the highest they've been for for a wee while yet 61,000 still still very good and they made their voices heard uh, we were just remarking off air about the the number of neutrals that were in attendance because it just sort of felt like an event rather than just a rivalry between two sides but the game was brilliant and there was there was enough prophesizing before the game that that Saracens would walk it and absolutely not because mm. just the pendulum swinging in that game it looked like Saracens uh, were in control. Then Sale came charging back, or should I say Manu Laggy <laughs> came charging back and took with Tom Curry on the wing uh, for a large part of the game. They just seemed to uh, really relish that. And then the quality came through. And, and I think Stuart is right to highlight Owen Farrell. It was the one big takeaway that I had from that game was just the quality Owen Farrell showed and I think what demonstrated it best was there was a, <laughs> there was a well, apart from his timing of pass which was exceptional. A couple of times when he sent Max Malins through holes, just mm. the timing of the pass was superb. But there was a moment in the second half, about 70 minutes, 68 minutes or so, whenever the, the yellow uh, whenever the yellow card went to, to Hislop um, to send him off, Owen Farrell screaming at his players, let's effing go. And then he started la- almost laughing to himself. I rewind, I rewind it back later, later in the day to watch it. And it looked, and I just thought, you maniac, you actually enjoy it. You're loving every second of this. It's mad. You should be in hell right now, but you're loving it. And it's just just the quality of play. It was brilliant. Um, Stuart, there was a time um, I felt you were wavering at the start of the season between the, the delights or the, the talents of uh, George Ford and um, Owen Farrell, and uh, but also Marcus Smith. Um, oh. He did enjoy a little of the band's journalistic largesse at the start of the season. And last season... Um... And I still think Marcus Smith is a very fine player. And I still think Marcus Smith has a big role to play in 2023 for England. I think what we've, what we've seen now, the quality of Farrell's play, uh, he's controlled the game. And you do need complete control. And if he can give that to England, although he hasn't done it international level as he has at club level, that has to be uh, remembered. But the way he's playing, captain, he has to start, he has to control the team. But, you know, you've got to think, if England are eight points down with 10 minutes to go, who can turn the match around? And I still say uh, Marcus Smith more than anyone else. It may be that Steve Borthwick thinks George Ford is his number two fly half, but that doesn't mean that Smith shouldn't be the bench fly half. You know, if Farrell gets injured, Borthwick may want to go Ford, but then it would be Smith on the bench. And if Farrell is starting, it is still Smith on the bench. So I'm not deserted him. Um, I, I was disappointed with Marcus C. Smith's season. Hmm. 
I don't think he played as well as he has done for the last year or two. As for Farrell, he has developed it. And, and, and one thing I'd say, I, you can analyse, and I've spent hours looking at the good and the bad of, of Farrell. But in the end, I think if, if you're a fly half and you're a decision maker, you have to uh, you have to relax. And, and I can remember a million years ago when I was tight and I was wound up, you didn't play as well as when you just felt in control of, of the situation. And if you can smile and if you can really relax, that that's a, a massive difference. Now, no one, Farrell's greatest fans cannot rewrite history and tell me that Owen Farrell was a relaxed character <laughs> for the last 10 years. He hasn't been. He scrunched his shoulders up. He's looked for hits. He's narrowed down in his vision because he gets so angry. That's all gone now. And, you know, who would have believed that Brendan McCullum, a New Zealand cricket coach, comes to our shores, tells us, for God's sake, top-class sportsman, relax, enjoy it. It's a privilege. Get on with it. It's changed everything. Farrell is a better player, not because of the timing of his past, so it's good, it always has been, not because of kicking for touch or tactical mm. because he's got a smile on his face instead of a snarl and that's done changed everything very good the, point. the best good the point. best the best kicking fly half performance of the of the weekend anyway was wasn't him it was uh theo dan <laughs> who pulled off a tight spiral 50 22 out of nowhere replacement we, hooker theo dan we'll come up to the, theo dan in a second but i'll sale stewart's using the word relaxed about saracens sale weren't relaxed they're a big heavy team they played wonderfully well um, what what would you say about, about them it's easy to say well they almost did it they'll be back next year but could they have done better this weekend and also we were just you were just talking about the timing of replacements their replacements seem to go off at, a, at an exact time well uh, timing timing is, is an interesting theme all round for this match because you know I was uh, very impressed with Sale you know I must admit that I, I thought that Saracens would have too much for them for the whole game but they, they it was interesting the Gus War was landing box kicks in contestable areas Alex Good maybe didn't enjoy the the finest of afternoons under the ball under mm. the ball because it was they were so contestable but I think it was a little element of experience that um or inexperience sorry that, that told in the end because I remember speaking to someone uh, before the match and going well look at the benches though you wouldn't say that's a vintage Saracens bench but what they have is this level of cohesion and understanding so the analysis that goes on on pitch for Saracens probably sets them apart from most other people so there was mm. there was a moment where I think you'll remember Duncan Taylor's charge down deep in, in sales territory and what happened is, is that Alex Good identified some space and he hit some grass with the ball because Sale's incredibly talented, exciting young back three were great and a lot of things they did really well. But letting a ball hit grass is mm. the kind of thing where, you know, it just knocks your timing a little bit here and then something something goes wrong somewhere else. And Saracens, although they should get more credit for playing a more exciting, faster paced game than they have for years, still there's a lot of calculation that goes in behind and it's those little wins, it's winning those little kicking battles which is, makes the difference for them. Sale will learn from that. And as I said, those guys are really young. It feels like on this podcast we said quite a few times that Sale have been on this journey and when Alex Sanderson first came in, there was a lot of work to do. There was a lot of clearing of the decks and it took a couple of seasons to find their feet. They've obviously certainly found their feet now. Now they've got to take it that next step further. And a lot of people are talking about the Saracens blueprint. Obviously, Alex Sanderson was a big part of what Saracens had done over the year. You'd fully expect them to take it a step forward next season. Sure. Stuart, uh, you mentioned Mark McCall briefly. Mark is, you could say, diametrically opposite 
to uh, Eddie Jones in the terms of the volubility and the load mouthing and pre-match ner- war of nerves or whatever you call it. Mark is uh, is so laid back or so quiet that you even have to crane forward to listen to him whisper when he does come up and say things. But, but, though, but, not, though not during the game, Steve, he's the loudest no. man in. No, history. He was probably he's lost his voice. That's why he can't say anything afterwards. <laughs> but it's a great effort. I mean, Mark was responsible for obviously, you know, resetting the team. He had to he had to put together a championship team to win the championship, which couldn't have all his top players in. Then he had to put together a team that would compete in the in the Premiership again. And then again this year, he's the winner. So it really is um, uh, off the field in terms of shuffling the players. It's a it's a an epic achievement but on the field he is sharp as a needle yeah I, I think he took them on from Brendan Fenter they they were a kick and chase team with a great spirit and that's what he inherited and he turned them into quite a cerebral team who never stopped caring for each other and, and that's very important he has that feel for the spirit of the game that's vital the other thing he has I, I've written about I think last week or so when other coaches are looking to what's going down the line in two months. He's looking to what's going down the line in four years. And yeah. he's de- he's developed young players. He's developed game plan. Th- th- this way they're playing now, partly I think he was aware that he didn't have the bulk of uh, a forward power to just play that game. You know, he doesn't play entertaining rugby because he thinks, oh, let's, let's run the ball. Won't that be fun? First and foremost, he wants to win. And I'd say two years ago, when, when all the financial stuff went off, he, he was aware that he was going to lose power in certain areas. So he, by being depowered, he had to find a way to change their game. He didn't quite do it last year and was very disappointed. This year, from day one, they have addressed that issue. They have played this offloading, flat-to-the-gain-line attacking rugby from the start, and, and they did it not to try and, and, and be a lovely-looking team who would win win over fans. Hey, they're not doing that, but but to be a team who, when the final came, would have a game plan that they could win. To me, he is uh, he's up there with my old mentor Jack Rowell as a mm. as as a visionary. He's up there with Dean Richards. Uh, and Gatland as motivators. He, he he really is right at the top of his career. That's high praise, and I know what you thought of Jack. Because well, I th- I thought exactly the same with, of as the of, of the great man. Um, I'll um just think um I've got two Theos for you. Just in terms of where Saracens are now going, we got Theo Dan who brought off that extra absolutely extraordinary kick, uh, the fifty twenty two. And you're thinking, from thinking, well, if, you know, who's the best replacement for Jamie George? The way Dan played, you're thinking, well, is Jamie George going to be in there next year? There's another Theo as well, Theo McFarland, who, let's not forget, began the season explosively and is almost now fit to play for Samoa and Saracens next year. So it doesn't look like the Saracens era is about to end with these lads. I mean, certainly... Some like Theo Dan coming in and uh, sort of blowing the doors off uh, after uh, after a stint this season, and you know it was very much a sense of geez, where did this come from? And Theo McFarland is an exceptional talent, 
I'd say that Theo Theo McFarland is is a triumph of taking a punt on someone that you have a have a gut feeling about. And, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there was there was advisement that this guy has an incredible skill set. We all know the stories about his basketball past and all of that kind of thing. And he really grew through last season and was exceptional again at the start of this one. One of the things Stuart mentioned the Saracens of old, where after everything that had happened, they had to slim down and lose lose some power. I think one of the great lessons from that weekend, I mentioned the the appearance of the strength of the bench as well, is, is that it's the cohesion players in between. You don't need someone with 75 South African caps to win a Premiership title mm. coming off the bench. And, you know, it makes you think, like, you know, there was no need to stockpile all that talent when you can play with this level of control with the players you, that you've got. Some guys who were brought in uh, because you were facing a championship season and have uh, I've rid the wave and are, are, have come through a championship there. So I think there's a real lesson in that. And just to spin it again onto sale, because I, I do believe that they have the ability to, to maintain their level at the top here and really push Saracens if they want to, is... Is that is that they'll learn learn from that? So they'll they'll build that level of cohesion. I think after the game, Alex Anderson said that every season you need to become 15 percent better just to stand still. Mm. So mm. everyone will need to do a huge amount of improvement uh, over the off season. Obviously, having a World Cup in the middle of it completely changes the face of everything. So the start of next season will be fascinating. But Sale, you know, the young guys that were were there and tasted defeat in this Premiership final they'll, they'll learn from that because Exeter Chiefs did exactly the same mm. and they're coming to, the Exeter Chiefs are coming to in, in the current issue of Rugby World we've called it Exeter 3.0 looking at the, the new young talent that they've cut that's coming through because they are doing it what feels like the right way in the current financial climate of mm. bring through these young guys give them game time and yes they'll up They'll make errors. Everyone will learn from it and will improve better. You don't need to bring in these guys with huge caps and, let's be honest, a huge wage bill. So that's very, very interesting and quite right. I can ask you both the same question now, guys, on behalf of, in, in terms of the whole premiership. As we talk, and this could happen, change at any minute, London Irish are still to, uh, or the, rather the new owners are still to declare their hand and still to part with as much as 50 pence to take over the club. It still seems many people are saying that London Irish will not be able to do it. Let's, let's pray that they can. But next year in the Premiership, um, there is still the salary cap reduction. There'll be 1.5 million um, less money available uh, was this season and, and next season, and it's another. It's well over another season before they go back up to six point five million. So next year, possibly the European challenge won't be that much greater than it was this year. But also, as we said yesterday in the Sunday Times, they're very, very uh, um, much going for a ten-club league. That is definitely what they want. What the uh, the current teams want and what the hierarchy wants. So, um, Al, let's come to you first. Ten clubs, is that enough to grab the nation? It, it's going to have to be, but you'd, assume, you'd hope that those are ten clubs that can stay financially solvent. Because yeah. that's the issue. You can't say, let's just... I'd like to have a 12-team league, so let's whack in people there that might not be able to go the course. Now, what you could do is... <laughs> this comes down to the whole promotion relegation discussion as well. Is you could have that, and you could have a bit of a relax of the standards of say, right, well, let's let Jersey and Ealing come up. What will that do to score lines? Do are we happy to wear that? Is that going to sell the league in the same way that you want, mm. or would you rather have ten teams that <laughs> you hope can cut their cloth accordingly? There's a there's a whole load of elements with that because which one sells the league better? I, I'm a firm believer that you need um, competitive balance, and you need to have stops and make weights to ensure that teams can remain competitive 
but you've got to face that this is the start reality where we are. Let's we could end this season with three teams going bust following out mm. of the league. Mm. I mean, certainly the way we're going about things isn't sustainable. And we need to be talking more and more. I'm sure if Mark, I can hear Mark Evans on my shoulder. I don't know if he'd be the little devil or the little angel, but I can hear him talking about governance and and all that kind of thing. But geez, listen, it's the as good as the rugby on the pitch has been. Bloody hell, it's been it's been tough going off it. You can't lose three teams, Stuart. Um, a ten team league, and uh, we do we have to be patient till the salary cap goes up so be, before uh, one of the English teams starts winning in Europe again. Oh, you know, we don't like to say it, but there are players who are outside the salary cap and you get average internationals who are on £800,000, clubs that are getting average crowds of Mm £7,000. Yep. And then you and then you say, oh, it's it's all the RFU, it's all governments. The clubs have made a complete horlicks of it. And they're continuing to make a horlicks of it. A a 10-team league without relegation will, within a year or two, bore the pants off everyone. If rugby wants to develop as a professional game, it has to draw people from outside the old network. And and whilst the old farts thing is always aimed only at Twickenham, yet the clubs, in their own interest, don't want newcomers in. We wouldn't have... I've said this a million times, but the panacea that's being put in front of us now wouldn't allow for an exeter. Exeter galvanised the game in England for quite a long time. You need that. We need someone in, I don't know, another another team. We, You know, Newcastle and Sale is not enough in the north. We need options. We need, we need Northampton, uh, Bath, Gloucester, Exeter. None of them are big city towns. You know, they do well because football isn't a massive sport there. Rugby is relying on sort of small town... Uh, traditions and that doesn't that doesn't take the game forward at all what it does do it might very well make it financially viable for the owners but this game the people who own Bath and and Gloucester and and Leicester they own them for the moment they do not own them for history Bath is bigger than Bruce Craig and these people have they have a duty to maintain the clubs and it's not by just trying to hang on and make some profit in the next four or five years because they don't have a vision for something else. The vision for the game is one that has a promotion and relegation. It's a vision where the RFU fund teams who are not premiership, teams like Jersey at the moment, and enable them in five or six years to have a system where we're starting to look a little bit like the French game, where there is this amazing excitement, not just about at the top, but at the bottom. There are prof- there, sorry, Stuart. There are professional leagues in the world in different sports that do this as well. They have independent governance that takes central decision-making out of the hands of the owners. Uh, sometimes owners are owned by a conglomeration of fans. What's best for the game is a decision that they all, <laughs> they all support. The larger chunk of the pie can go to the team that needs it most so that everyone's more competitive. When I say that, I believe in competitive balance. That's what I'm talking about. I think we're, we're talking about the same thing here and that so, <laughs> there has to be a vision for what's what's for the good of the game rather than just oh god if we grab this this deal now from this this wealthy well, benefactor for the good of 10 people for, for the good of 10 clubs that's I, I, what we're talking about I, really I, I, I do think look i think you're 
what Al's saying is, Stuart, I think he probably agrees with you, and I agree with you. No, we are, promotion, we but, are but when, we when are you're losing three, three huge clubs, it is really a three... I mean, one is enough to lose in a year, but to lose three but is also, sickening. But also, you know, what we're talking about is potentially replacing the owners of, of one club who won't put their hands in the pocket is someone that we can't even nail down where the money's coming from, whether mm. there's going to be enough, who the names, what... what Dispatches are we hearing from these people? What noises are they wanting to give what's meant to be their fans crickets? So it's you can't just kick the can a little bit further down the road, which feels like that's potentially where we are. I, I do think as well, I mean, listening to talking to various people last week, there is definitely a some sort of slide in the in the in the in the direction of teams building up as did Exeter. I know for a fact that uh, Jersey have got some huge backers, and I really mean huge backers. Who would put money in and for a stadium, etc. If they got in the Premiership, well, you know, t- if we're going to really, as you say, Stuart, if we're going to our extend things, well, if Jersey can prove that they are a Premiership team in terms of facilities, potential crowd and finance, well, then for me, they don't need to win the Championship to go up into the Premiership. It's as simple as that. It, it, as long as they're not um, taking the place oh, of a team that's, that's equipped like them. That- I still feel that the promotion relegation thing is the long-term answer because it develops a much greater fan base and that's how you develop the sport. On Sunday, I gave up on, on the mighty Arsenal. Man City were just too strong for us. But I was I was glued to see whether Everton, a club who have been in the Premier League for, 50, for the last 51 years, yeah. could hang on. Now, rugby is just chucking that away. And they can't afford to chuck that away. No, it, it loses out. I, I, I spoke to Steve Borthwick a few weeks ago at a Bath game without relegation. So many matches have no intensity. They're pointless. It doesn't help the international team. It doesn't help the fan. It doesn't help anyone at all. But everything right now is being geared towards the short-term benefits for 10 clubs. And that is a long-term failure of thinking. And the RFU have got to be stronger. They've got to say... You know, we are going to fund Bedford, Doncaster. The names don't matter at the moment, but it's 10 years down the line. But in this country, we seem, you know, in this country where everything's about dividends at the end of the year, we're scared, scared to death of having an idea that actually is going to take some time and, and, and we'll be a little bit painful along the way, but we've got to, are we in it or not? That's the question. Well spoken, lads. We're now going to move on to the URC final, where Munster had one of their greatest days. Guys, um, not so long ago this season, when Munster was struggling in Europe, we wondered whether it was the end of uh, the great Munster march. Well, it wasn't, because they are URC champions. Um, they beat the Stormers in Cape Town. That's the Stormers on their own home ground, whatever it is, 8,000 miles away from home at the end of a gruelling season. Al, one of Munster's greatest days, was it a shock? And where does that put the competition when an Irish club, which is not very successful during the season, can go and take the title in the lair of the Stormers? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, I, I was brought to mind the idea of uh, the, the playoffs uh, I don't know about anyone else catching the dispatches from football's playoffs at Wembley uh, this week. Always a fantastic occasion. And some of the teams coming through, it's about form. It's about coming through at the right time. Mm. And the way that Munster did this, 
deserves a bit of recognition here, right? So Munster obviously hadn't won a, a major trophy for 12 years. F- famous province crying out for success, madly in love with its rugby, but not had anything to shout about. And they weren't great shakes for a large amount of the season. In fact, in April, I think they got a scalping off the Sharks. Like April. We're now in May, and they had this run through the playoffs where the last five games... They have played away from home. They haven't had a home game since round 16. They played round 17 and 18 away from home, quarterfinals, semifinals and finals all the way from home and won it. And there's just something that's quite romantic about the idea of this team that's constantly on tour, growing in form, growing together as a team, going to the back door. Now, (laughs) the the pitch in Cape Town uh, is uglier than Cinderella's sisters. It's an absolute shocker. But they went there... uh, abroad facing the defending champions who are playing at home and they did a number and it it just deserves a hell of a shout out the job that they've done this season I didn't see it coming I don't know many people that did but you've got to say bravo to them Uh, Stuart you used to be a massive fan of Munster you and Miles in the old days it was like listening to two two people from the west coast of Ireland on commentary Uh, are your boys back? Well first of all I can't go on and on and say I hope Saracens win the final in England because they were the best team, the most consistent, blah, 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 and and not say that Munster, let's just remember, you know, remarkable their late season run, but they ain't the best team. Um, That's quite clearly Leinster by a country mile. Uh, But Leinster fielded a second team because, understandably, they were plotting for for La Rochelle, and, and Munster took their advantage, and Yes, it was one of their great days because this is not one of their great teams. Mm, mm. And when you're not a great team, it takes something else. And Graham Roundtree, he unlocked it and he found it. Yeah, when 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 I was reading that up to five thousand people were were bound for Cape Town, then all my old love, as as you like to call it, for mm. Monster came flooding back because I don't know is there any other team in in Europe that could send that amount of support that far away. They are passionate. Rugby's not just about what happens on the pitch. Spectators have a vital role to play. The European Cup was, in the early years, the Munster fans played a predominant part, as much as just about anyone except probably Toulouse on the pitch, mm. for, for bringing that tournament to life. I and, totally and, agree and, with that. Yeah. And, and they've gone to Cape Town against the odds substantially against the odds and they've won that game. Alan's absolutely right. Uh, not about Cinderella's sisters, but the pitch, I think that played into their hands. But uh, finals rugby is about working out how to win. And like I said earlier, Mark McCall didn't play uh, the more attractive and quicker rugby themselves because he thought the crowd would like it. He did it because it was their best way to win. And Munster f- unlocked the best way they could win this game. And that's, that's a tremendous victory. It's... It is one. It is one of their great ones. It's up there with those two Cardiff wins in Europe. I have to say that uh, I've always been, I'm afraid, very wary and suspicious of the URC because I just do not believe it can carry on in a, in a, in a sport teeming with commitments 
to, to, to just bridge the, the enormous gaps between these countries. It was slightly, right. you know, the, 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 the league or the Celtic league as it once was has been struggling on uh, to, to raise interest. And I think it was a, a maybe a bold move. I still think that in two or three years' time, the URC is going to come to the end of the road because rugby is just too busy for it. And then, uh, I mean, Leinster, when it come down to it, I think they gave their verdict on it that they would rather not win it if it increased their chances of winning in Europe. So I, I, I really think you cannot combine some random countries and call it some form of domestic league, Al. Well, I'm going to push back on that because I, I'd like to see how it's going because I was sceptical when this, uh, let's call it a project, first began. And then speaking to contacts in South Africa, I saw the level of enthusiasm and it's still going. And speaking to people in Ireland... Now, maybe that's the in the afterglow of a, a win for Munster is people talking about how excited they've been and how it's great to see genuine rivalries to face off against Leinster and for them to not... Leinster were untouchable for large amounts of the season and they tripped up. And I've heard some people suggesting that Leinster should really pick their entire superstars and take them to Cape Town the next time they go there next season and try and lay a marker down and how it things just can't plod along the way that they've used to and it's been a real shot in the arm I've even heard some people suggesting that there's there's going to be increased investment in the league now I don't know if that's true but I'm hearing a lot of positive sounds from some places obviously there are other areas where they're not so positive and I, I think I'm looking across the, the Severn to see how people view it there but I'm going to wait and see I'm not going to de- declare that it's going to be dead in a couple of seasons because I've really enjoyed a lot of what I've seen from reaction and seeing new superstars emerge so I, I'm on a watching brief here I was just going to say, we haven't talked about climate crisis. It does exist. And you can't have a league where South Africans are bolted onto Europe. And great as it is that Munster are sending hordes over to the tip of Africa, to encourage this is a nonsense. Rugby babbles on about sustainability and you read all its promises online and and yet when it comes to the crunch, they don't give a damn. And and to have a league where you have got British, Irish and South African teams is to cock a snoot symbolically at something that is very important on this planet. And I think it can't survive that way. Did you throw it that orange hand grenade on the, on the Twickenham, by the way? I tell, you, I tell you what, no, it wasn't. It was a doctor from Bristol, uh, a sensible, serious man, and the venom that was coming from behind me, behind the press box, was some of the ugliest stuff I've ever heard in my life. Mm. The tone from certain areas at Twickenham, they should think twice about themselves. When you get a streaker on the pitch, everyone think it's funny. When you get someone trying to point out that the world's in a crisis, mm. they want to hang them. Okay. Distra- it was dis- I was distressed, really distressed by it. By the reception to the demonstrators. By the reception, exactly. Okay. Well, uh, we seem to have been uh, lost our year early unanimity here because I see what Al's saying about the interest in South Africa. But to be fair, Al, it is the only thing they've got now. They're not. They've got nowhere else to play. Um, Wales, Scotland, Italy, and is, is it so big? I don't know. Uh, it's definitely a point with um, global warming, etc. That. More and more jets are up in the air now with uh, with rugby teams in it. But look, I, I have to say, uh, I, I will say that we've got to give it another year to see what happens. It's just somehow ironic that all these years, these other clubs, uh, the other nations, be trying to put a league together, and then the final takes place not in any of the nations, sort of thing. So 
But I'm happy to be keeping an open mind till it carries on. And Stuart noted uh, the reception that's from Summit Twickenham was not what uh, you would have liked. And I don't think I would have I would have been very happy that I'd been in my normal seat next to you either. Um, no, so I must say, Steve, some, not all, but okay. a lot. Okay, okay. Next, uh, everybody, we're going to talk about the Barbarians. Also, the end of the Premier 15s is coming to a climax, and we'll all choose our god or goddess. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Uh, just briefly with the Barbarians, Al, a much-loved club, hugely popular amongst vint- Vintners and Draymond because they spend the whole week clearly drinking before the game. People still think it's a big honour and they still get reasonable crowds. Are they still worthy of their position in rugby? Well, I think a bit of inside baseball here is uh, this match at the weekend, Barbarians versus World 15. Barbarians and World 15 are both looked after by the same people yeah. uh, so it, it's very much uh, an in-house production I've been lucky enough to go on a, a, a tour behind the scenes with the Babas years ago to see to see how things work and there's a there's still a gloriously amateur element to yeah. a lot of it and I think players really enjoy that obviously players enjoy cutting loose uh, in several senses you might have seen Alan Wynne-Jones taking a shot at goal that he yeah. missed uh, at the end of that game it's seen as an honour but it's also an opportunity to do things that you wouldn't normally do and it's a bucket list thing for a lot of elite players I like that the club itself is still struggling speaking to people there's it's still struggling to modernise yeah. and there was a period in the early 2010s where there were serious questions about the future of it and whether it would go on the pace of change has been quite slow there but I know that the Barbarians would definitely benefit from being more than just a thing that we talk about a week before it happens and go, oh yeah, the Babas are playing. Yeah. There are options on how you get there, but I'd, I'd suggest that something needs to be done. If that's more glamorised, then it's just more rugby in the calendar and then how the hell do you put that together? But at the moment, it's it's a nice novelty for players and uh, you'd be sad to see it go, but I think it needs I think it needs something to, to bring it up to 2023 now. Stuart? I've got a lot of affection for the Barbarians. They were very good to me in my playing careers. They sent me to places like Hong Kong when we didn't have a clue about climate crisis, thanks to Barbarians. We had great times there. I agree totally with Al in that um, this is an intensely professional and serious age of rugby, and there's no harm now and again letting your hair down. I I personally find a 90-point game anything but thrilling, but but there we go. But, you know, Israel Folau. He's in many circles seen as rugby's bogeyman because of his pronouncements, which we all know about, on gay marriage. He he comes back and, and he's selected to play in this game because it's not regarded as important and it's a welcome back. And he got booed a lot, but I watched him play again and I thought, my God, this bloke is outstanding and I don't like his opinion, but I think he's got a right to it. And I, I think Teams, matches like the Barbarians in the World 15 are opportunities to sort of 
bring people back in from the fold. He, he does look a dangerous player. Let's just uh, let's just catch up with um, the Premier 15s then. It's been a, well, an unbelievable season for the women's team and also for the league. Uh, this week, it's the last action of the regular season. Uh, Darlington, Moden Park playing Sale. Uh, Gloucester, Hartbury playing Exeter. Uh, Loughborough are playing Saracens. Uh, Wasps are playing Bristol. A bit of a sad day because it's the last time Wasps will appear in the league. They're not uh, even involved as a club in any league next year, I don't think, even though they've been one of the greats. Wasps and Bristol and Worcester and Quinns. Uh, the battle's on for the last four and also for the home games. And at the moment, it would seem that Gloucester Hartbury, uh, who are, are just edging out ahead as the equivalent to Saracens in the in the women's game. So all the best to all the teams in their final games of the regular season and um, let's hope that uh, the the semi-finals and the final are as good as the league has been all season. So it's now time for God or Goddess of the Week, the last the last awarding of deity for the season. Uh, we'll come to uh, Al first. Al, God or Goddess and they'll be reigning god or goddess until the start of the next season, officially. Well, it, it's funny you say officially. Um, there was a lot of praise for uh, Piardi, the Italian referee who looked after the URC final. But I just wanted to give a shout-out to Luke Pierce, who looked after the Premiership final. Uh, <laughs> chest control aside, where the ball one pass rocketed off of, <laughs> off of uh, his front. In that game, I, I thought he was really good. I don't imagine there was a huge amount of complaints from lots of people. Uh, he looked after the game well, and... You know, we talked about a fitting final for the end of the season. I thought it was a fitting referee performance as well. So I just wanted to give a nod to him. Very good one. Very good one. Uh, he was our guest at uh, the Rugby Union Writers Club um, lunch last week and uh, spoke extremely well. Uh, Barnsley. Well, we were chatting, you and I, with uh, Wayne Barnes and Luke Pierce. Uh, and the pair of them said the one thing they hate more than anything is when they get in the way of a pass. That's awful. <laughs> I watched that happen. I thought, oh, Luke. But I go along with Alain. He, he, he had a fantastic game, but you can't give a referee a couple of gods of the week. That's just that's wrong. So <laughs> I, I have to find the Englishman in Limerick. Um, from the depth of despair to uh, a colossal triumph in Cape Town, who would have thought Leicester prop Graham Roundtree is now a man of Munster and he is my god of the week. The free bird flies again. That's a very fair one as well. I'm afraid I'm going to not going to be going too far this week, um, especially as I didn't see the game, although I did watch it later on. Mark McCall, um, maybe the quietest man in the world, apart from when the game is on, he's also calculating, cool, keeps up with things, knows things. And um, for what he did when Saracens were on their backsides and to stay with them till they got back on to silverware has been brilliant. So Mark McCall is my man. And that uh, puts an end to a whole season of the ruck. The god or goddesses of the week who could have been in contention are all you people out there, men, women, boys and girls, uh, who followed us and who've come up to us and said whether they agreed or disagreed with what we said. We should also thank Alfie, our producer, who has been unbelievably patient with us dropping in and out and being unavailable and not available, forgetting things, and especially uh, with my total lack of IT nous, because he's had to be an IT advisor for hours every I'd week. I'd describe it as IT triage. Triage, IT triage, yeah, yeah. 
Waiting for me is like waiting for in uh, the emergency at a, a hospital. Thank you, Alfie. Uh, we'll be back for the prelude to the World Cup and the World Cup itself. Uh, we look forward to bringing that to you. Please stay with us. Thanks a million, everyone, for listening to The Ruck. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.